This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week are two just spectacular human beings. Nick White. Hey. And Tia Vasilio. Hey. Thank you both for joining this week. I am very excited to be back. It's 2020, baby. I, I feel like there should be air horns and confetti in my house that I'm going to be cleaning up for the next three to six months. Uh, it's it's a big year. We ended the year with my friend Dahmer. I guess we started the year technically with my friend Dahmer, but this week we're back to a regular show. I'm so excited to just be talking about comic books. I've started a big deep dive into something, but we'll get into that in a second. But the question I'm going to ask is the same one that I asked all through 2019 and before it's how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Tia. I feel like I'm already over 2020, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be because half of the world is on fire? Yeah, I'm just Or like, something else? I'm already tired, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like thinking about how in 2019, I really kind of stopped reading Marvel comics. And I used to be such a Mm -hmm. Marvel fangirl, you know, like the all new, all Marvel now, all the adjectives, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) I was there for that. And then I, Mm -hmm. I feel like they kind of ended that, like when a bunch of those creators left Marvel for greener pastures in their creator-owned lives, I kind of just got bored of Marvel. And so I was like, what are they up to lately? A lot of people on my Twitter were saying how much they loved Hawkeye Freefall number one by Matt Rosenberg Mm -hmm. and Otto Schmidt. So I was like, I love Hawkeye. You know, like Fraction and Aha Hawkeye, that was like a, a really important book for me, just in terms of like bringing me into the comic book world, you know? So, and a lot of people were saying that they got that vibe from this book. So I checked it out and I'm just like, why am I reading Marvel books again? I'm like, why? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I, I want to love, I want to believe, but, Mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's a Hawkeye book. All right. (laughs) Um, kind of unremarkable. But then on the other hand, I'm like, it's sort of amazing that the Fraction and Aha Hawkeye, like, they basically invented Hawkeye, you know? Yeah. And yeah. now that concept that seemed so original and p- seems to really, like, you know, push the idea of superheroes and, and like, storytelling, um, st- superhero storytelling and all of that, like, it just seems kind of rote now, in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like Hawkeye is still such a like blank slate and you know like Matt Rosenberg is obviously a very talented writer and I wonder if it's like Marvel editorial that's just like yeah give us more Fraction Hawkeye or like what what's the deal like I want to see another original Hawkeye take and I feel like Rosenberg is the dude to do it and where is my original Mm -hmm. Hawkeye take yeah I it's interesting to hear that because I would have thought that I mean, I haven't read a lot of major Marvel books outside of X-Men, so like my my understanding as to what how things have changed is is very unknown, but it's interesting to hear that there wasn't there hasn't been any kind of major growth for no. that character. You'd think that years later that someone would have been like, "Yeah, Fraction's, you know, Fraction Aha's Hawkeye, but then this other thing on top of that, like growing the character, adding more to this whole he's, you know, he's he's deaf and this is a part of his character now. It's not just something we hint at when it's when it's relevant. Yeah, um, that's all I, I'm surprised. No, and so like what was happening in this book is that uh there's like someone is like using the Ronin costume to do bad things. And so like Bucky and Sam have to like pay Hawkeye a visit to be like is this you and he's like no <laughs> and then like he's also dealing with um th- like a bad guy I forget what he calls himself because it was like I was actually surprised at how annoyed I was by how talky some of the scenes were in this book like there was a lot of words in this book <laughs> yeah and I I feel like if you're gonna do fraction aha Hawkeye like you know David aha made as much of a mark on that as fractions like tone did and absolutely so i felt like the the like i wanted more from the art style and i wanted less words 
<laughs> it was fine. I mean, it, well, it was a perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah. It was a perfectly fine Marvel superhero book. There were one-liners. It was quippy. It was charming. The art told its story. But I feel like you know you're you're your own worst enemy with that character, Marvel, because you set the bar high, and now you have to do better. Yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting to hear because again I think to your point I've seen it all over Twitter. It's Kelly Thompson constantly retweeting tweets about it. I mean, look, it's <laughs> but yes. I think that we all love these creators and know that they're so capable of like doing cool shit. And I just yeah. like I don't know if Marvel is letting people play with their toys in to the fullest of their abilities. Interesting. I I you're not the first person to say that about the Marvel and particularly also Star Wars properties, oh my um, God. which is interesting. Let's not. Which, like, I, we don't have, yeah, as I say, we don't have to get into that. I think that Brian and Kara just did an entire series about that. <laughs> so, uh, well, interesting. I, I maybe maybe I'll try this just to just to get a fuller picture of what you're describing because that does sound interesting. But I, I, it feels like it might be a book that might be better in trade. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Um, but Nick, what about you? What have you been reading? How have you been? All that jazz. Well, it's, it's just funny when you guys were talking about um, the Marvel editorial not letting them play with their toys. All I could think of was that um, SNL like Star Wars skit where the kids are like, I want to play with the toys. And then like the older Star Wars fans are like, let's keep it in the box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's like, I figured that's like a pretty good analogy for, for perhaps analogy. what's going, out, going on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, things are, things are okay. I mean, all things considered, um, the fact that all the, the dingoes and the wallabies and the koalas are being set on fire and, and we're massively approaching global armed conflict perhaps. And, 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 and so maybe starting off the year with my friend Dahmer, where you have a slow set of warning signs that escalate into something uncontrollable and evil. Maybe that was the perfect book to begin the year sure. with. I don't know. Um, beyond that, things things have been okay. Um, I recently read uh, My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. That's written by Ed Brubaker, art by uh, Sean Phillips, and colors by uh, Sean's son, Jacob Phillips. Um, so this is a novella that ties into the larger criminal universe. Um, it came out in October of 2018. Um, I read it on Hoopla because 79-page original graphic novels that cost $17 um, exist on that plane of wealth alongside like Bugattis and Lambos and uh, caviar that's wrapped in 24-karat gold and then wrapped in more caviar. So like Hoopla was the way to go for this book. I, I waited it out. Um, hey Nick, didn't you pay that same amount for Alien Salvation, which was about the same size? Yes, but that was Mike Magnola and Aliens. We're not going to have that conversation. Um, you got priorities. You got priorities. I get it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it, it is worth noting that I haven't read all of Criminal, and what I did read was roughly about three years ago. I don't remember all of it that well. Um, I sort of understand where the connection or Easter egg was to the larger universe, but. It certainly didn't keep me from kind of appreciating the whole book. Um, it's largely about this woman named Ellie. She's been placed in rehab by her uncle, quote-unquote. Um, we find out that her addict mother died 10 years before, um, and that Ellie has sort of obsessed and poured over this mixtape that her mother sent to her father when her father was in jail. And all of the music on the mixtape has a, a certain commonality, which is the fact that all of the... Um, musicians on it uh, were all drug addicts. Um, I don't remember if they all died or not, but it was people like Graham Parsons and, and Billie Holiday. And it's sort of, it's, it's interesting because the book tries to walk the line between Ellie pointing out, okay, a lot of these artists produce their best work while on drugs, um, but kind of weighing this alongside the ugly accompanying factors that uh, go with addiction, as well as sort of the draconian rules that the government imposes on those who um, partake in, in, you know, in, in substances. And, and, and the book also obviously discusses the idea that there's a different penalty for broke drug offenders versus rich drug offenders, which is whether mm -hmm. you go to jail or whether you get to sit in an, you know, in a nice house with other rich people. Um, so it's, um, 
it follows this idea that there's kind of like a meet cute when she's there she meets this male uh um person who's there of the same age um and for a while it sort of looks like a fox searchlight quirky like quote unquote how to caucasian trust fund uh kids find each other in rehab kind of movie and the sad mm-hmm. thing is i think we all know about like four or five of those at this point um, but then don't forget, this is the criminal universe, which means things are going to take a twist uh, for the worse. Um, the biggest thing I would want to point out is that we do have Phillips and Brubaker working with um, Phillips' son instead of uh, Elizabeth Breitweiser, who would normally be their collaborator on Criminal as well as some of their other things. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to get used to that. Because I think Brightweiser really gave things more solid, darker, realistic, lived-in tones. Um, and it gave things much more of a realistic portrayal. And I think with um, Phillips, you have more subdued pastel colors, kind of blotchy coloring, um, like a brush strokes. Um, I really like it. I'm totally okay with it. It reminds me of 13 for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly, I think some people are going to be thrown off by it. What's interesting about that book is I think that they were intentionally going for a stylized color palette. Like yeah. they weren't necessarily trying to mimic some of the other coloring styles that were done in previous criminal books. I think they really wanted to go with this more stylized color look because I've seen other work that Jacob Phillips has done and he doesn't usually do, do things this wild and crazy. So oh. it was interesting to see him do this because I, if you, I've been reading you know Criminal for a long time and I've been reading various um, Brubaker books for a while or Brubaker and Phillips books and for a short while I want to say it was. It was during whatever book came before, or Killer Be Killed. Jacob Phillips was doing, um, he was doing like little one-page splash pages um, at the back of Killer Be Killed issues with with the essays. And his his normal watercolor style is not as vivid or wild as it is in My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. So it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like he has the same kind of toned down style that his father does. Um, But in this one, he really changed it up to try to create that stylized look. Hmm. Okay. I, w- I would suggest digging into that. His his Twitter is a goldmine for that kind of stuff. Okay, definitely. For me this week, I read I Can Sell You a Body Number 1, which is written and lettered by Ryan Ferrier with art by George Combatius. Uh, this is a very strange book that I saw the cover for, and I said, yes, I'm going to buy this, because the cover looks so very cool. It's like a plain white background with a, our main character, Denny Little, um, being pulled by a bunch of different arms, and it's, it's a really beautiful-looking cover. Um, plus, the title alone is just a kind of goofball thing. I can sell you a body. Um, but the story is about this medium-slash-spiritual sp- guy named Denny Little who kind of feels like a con artist when you ri- originally meet him. He can supposedly speak to ghosts of the recently deceased um, and or the deceased long ago. Um, it's not really clear as to what the quote-unquote limitations of his powers are, but it feels like a scam until you find that he's actually speaking to these spirits. And it turns out he offers this very special exp- exclusive package where he can bring your lo- loved ones back to life so long as you can provide him a body for them to possess. And he has this ability to do any, to do this, and he charges people a lot of money. And so the book kind of starts with him meeting someone who wants this procedure to be done, um, but there's a lot of complications in it that have to come down to, or that come down to mob bosses and debts that are owed, and it turns out Denny's in kind of a tight spot when it comes to money. And so it, all these complicated bits and pieces kind of come together in the last few pages of the book as you realize something that he did very very early on in the issue is now coming back to bite him on top of this debt, on top of these gangsters, on top of all this other stuff. So, and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be a four issue miniseries. So I'm really excited to see where Ferrier and Co. end up taking this book in just four issues. But with issue one's plot and pacing, I can definitely see that they're going to be able to accomplish this in four issues. Um, and the thing that I found the most interesting is that this is a book that's coming from IDW. It seems like a book that you would definitely expect to be coming from maybe Boom given the style or image based on like the the idea of the book but the fact that idw is publishing this is very very interesting so there's um, no transformer in this book the, uh not that i could find not an issue one <laughs> yeah at least not an issue one but maybe really, issue it's, two it's, i know that idw sometimes <laughs> will put their put their neck out a little bit and they will try to publish some creator owned or what seems like creator owned books um underneath their label just to try to maybe try to sell something different 
I think this is where we, you know, we, we got a handful of different books like this over the years. Um, like Lock and Key, for instance, was an IDW book, um, which is, to me, is so strange when you compare it to everything else that they do. Um, but I Can Sell You a Body, number one, was was pretty fun. Uh, the the plot was a little clunky to start, but I think by the end of the issue, it all comes together really, really well. So I'm very much looking forward to number two. Um, but now I want I want some fanfare right here. Xander, can you put some fanfare in here? Maybe some anime music? I don't know. I want everyone to know that I'm starting to read One Piece because I hate myself, my body, and also I am the most excited anime boy in the world. I'm reading One Piece from the beginning using the Shonen Jump app. I read 22 chapters of One Piece. This is by Ichiro Oda, and my goal is to catch up to this book and be completely caught up before chapter 1000 comes out. Uh, it's it's a massive undertaking because there are 966 chapters of this book as of today, um, January 5th, 2020, and I didn't really know what to expect going into this all i knew is that a lot of people like it It, it's the most popular manga i've ever seen in my life because when i was in japan if there wasn't dragon ball z stuff or dragon ball super stuff all over it was one piece stuff and that is to the point where i was walking through a small grocery store trying to pick up some like fruits and stuff like that when i was in japan and they were offering a credit card that had a one piece theme and one of the characters from one piece was like had a big text bubble around his mouth trying to pitch you this credit card so um if that's not massive overtaking of the cultural whatever zeitgeist by an anime or manga, I don't know what else is. Um, so I'm really excited to dump, jump into this. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but a lot of people are very excited that I'm digging into this, at least on Twitter and so on and so forth. So ugh, it's happening, guys. I'm going to become just a full-blown just manga boy, and that's who I'm going to be from now on. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh anyways other than that let, let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week comics are dropping on january 8th 2020 even though in my notes i wrote 2019 <laughs> i want to know what you guys are excited for this week i'm gonna pitch this over to nick so i'm a little behind on some of my weekly books so i went looking for something um that I think I would, you know, be able to recommend and, and not have to have the full backlog uh, all memorized at this point. So I went with uh, an original graphic novel called British Ice. Um, it's written and drawn by Owen D. Pomery. Uh, you can go ahead and guess how hard it was to dig up info on Pomery uh, without Comic Book DB. Uh, yes, it's still down. And uh, I mean, the way 2020 is going, it's it, it just feels right in line with the rest of it. Um, thank goodness he at least has his own website for me to look up some stuff. Uh, he's written several other graphic novels, including The Victory Motel, as well as another called Between the Billboards and the Authoring of Architecture, uh, the latter being a work that, quote, seeks to better understand the relationship between comics, architecture, and personal perception. Yikes. And that last sentence is how you know it's going to be a nice, easy, breezy read. Um... <laughs> As for British Ice, uh, the official summary on Top Shelf's website reads, uh, Working for the British High Commission, Harrison Fleet is posted to a remote Arctic island, which is still inexplicably under British rule. As he struggles to understand why and what interests he is protecting, Harrison learns just how much of the land and its community lies in the shadow cast by the outpost's founder. Caught between hostile locals, the British government, and an unforgiving physical environment, he begins dragging dark secrets into the light, unaware of the tragic repercussions they will cause. And help is very, very far away. Part noir, part historical mystery, British ice explores the consequences of colonialism and the legacy of empire. And that last line is how you know this book is also going to be an easy breezy fun read. Um, <laughs> colonialism, what a light fun topic. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, how did you find this book? Well, I found it because I now have to use Fresh Comics to look up the books coming out every month, and uh, this was listed under IDW or Top Shelf, and it, it interested me, and I really like the art, and there's always something oddly appealing about mystery set up in the cold, cold north. I realize that's mm -hmm. like a real niche genre. Maybe it's a Fargo thing, maybe it's an insomnia thing, but there's there's always something about mysteries taking place in a, you know far out remote area that only gets like three hours of sunlight a day i don't know what right. it is but like uh, Thir 30 days of night yeah I think. <laughs> yeah there's always going to be if, if there's snow and there's ice and there's no light uh do crimes um 
<laughs> or do murder. Or do murder is usually what whoa, it is. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, sure, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, that sounds that sounds very interesting. I know you sent me some of the the preview art for this. It looks, it it. I think the art does not necessarily fit with the style, but I'm guessing that if you read it, it'll fit really really well. So, um, I'm interested to hear what you say, you think about that. Um, Tia, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Pretty Deadly, The Rat Number 5 is coming out. I think that's going to conclude this arc, so I can finally binge read it, which is my preferred way and suggested way of reading Pretty Deadly. Yes. (laughs) I actually kind of, uh, around the third issue, was like, you know, I'm just going to wait. So, um, But I really like how Emma Rios is so good at capturing the the genre that they're using for each arc. So this one's kind of like a noir Hollywood golden age. I think that she does such a spectacular job of infusing that aesthetic into those scenes, but then you still have the really lyrical, poetic kind of dreaminess when it switches into other settings. And um, yeah, I'm super thrilled that there there's going to be more pretty deadly Uh, to tell the stories of some of the other characters and also explore other time periods. So that's, yeah, that's really all I have to say about Pretty Deadly. Like, binge read it when it all comes out as an arc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... it. I'm really curious to know, like, I, I haven't read um, all of the second volume of this, and I obviously haven't read any of The Rat yet. Um, I'm really curious to know how far, like, these two are going to take this series, because I feel like they're... I, unless something has changed dramatically in the series, there's there's a, like a unlimited directions they could potentially go with these fairy tale esque stories, right? Well, I mean, I th- go ahead. Go I ahead. think that each arc of the story takes place in a a moment of pivotal um, humanity, kind of having to reckon with their relationship to death and killing. Like, oh, interesting. The Wild West. World uh-huh. World War One, I. I mean, the Hollywood Golden Age, I think, is less on that scale. But certainly, there there is a sort of reckless, fatal decadence to it that I think um, you see in a lot of the stories set in that era that they're using here. The next one's going to be, I think, in the Great Depression. Oh, geez. Okay. And then um, they're going to go back and look at. I think Big Alice, and it's going to be set in the Viking era. Don't oh, quote me on that. Okay. Like, fact check that, but I think that's right. So that to me is really interesting that every story is set in a moment like a, a where there's kind of a turning point um, in humanity's relationship to death. Definitely. So yeah, that's that's really interesting that they're that they're tackling different time periods, not necessarily in chronological order. Um, I I see this is this is one of those things that's like, man, it's going to be amazing to binge all of Pretty Deadly when it's done, um, whenever it's done. I mean, I think that the folks that are reading it right now, I think have only said like incredibly positive things. It sounds to me like you're super enjoying it. So. Um, yeah, I guess we're just this. I, I looked it up. This is the last issue of the arc, so look for that trade probably later this year, right? Yes, definitely. And then just you know, binge reading is the way I think to best understand the story. Definitely, especially given the like really big picture things that I think Kelly Sue does in her writing um, throughout the arc um, or each arc. So cool. Though for me this week. I am excited for Excalibur number five because I had to pick an X book because nothing else really looked that interesting to me, okay? You know, we got all of our books out right around the Christmas time and um, now everything just sucks. Uh, no, that's not true. Excalibur number five, this is by Teeny Howard, Marcus Toe. I, I go back and forth on all of the X books like every single freaking week, but uh, dear listener, no book has a sad, angsty occasion in it beyond this one, and so it has to be my pick this week, because in issue number four of Excalibur, there was a moment where Gambit was just sad, and every character on in the panel was calling him out on it, and boy, oh boy, do I love that. Um, just, a, just a sad, angry Gambit, because you know what? His wife is frozen in time or something, question mark. It's a weird fairy tale thing, and honestly, if I'm being completely honest about it, 
it really kind of bugs me that in issue one, like right from the right out the gate, Teeny Howard like basically put Rogue in a coma and just said, This is gonna be the drive of the story. And I don't I don't really like that because of all the characters to do it to, why Rogue? And why like Like, she's so better used as a character and could have been better used, I think, in this book. So I'm wondering if there's going to be, like, like the other shoe is going to drop here and it's going to slap me in the face and go, oh, Mike, you idiot, why did you have a problem with this? Um, I just feel really weird about it. Like, she could have put anybody else in a coma or just not done this coma thing because so far in the story it hasn't worked outside of Apocalypse being really creepy and Gambit just being angsty, just saying, what about my wife? Um, that seems to be his whole motivating character drive. And it's it's really strange because I like this book. I like what Teeny Howard is doing with Excalibur. It's just this, you know, core pillar of the story that is a, I have a problem with. So I'm just, I'm hoping that things kind of switch back and she gives us a really good explanation for all this to have ha- had happened um, because it really feels like she just, half fridged a character temporarily to drive the rest of the team um which i'm i don't know if i'm a fan of that uh i feel really uncomfortable with it so excalibur number five i, I want to root for all these x books no matter how good or bad they are but this is the one that i'm most excited to read this week just to see how things pay off because i think either this issue or the next issue is going to be the end of the arc and hopefully we'll get some answers about a lot of the big questions um specifically what's happening in the other world and Maybe they'll actually resolve some of the conflict with the mutants and Captain Britain and all this stuff. If you're not reading this book, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Welcome to X-Men again. Um, we tried to get you all hooked with House of X and Power of X, and if you didn't jump on board then, well, quite literally, the ship has sailed, at least in another book called Marauders. Oh, God. Um, so, <laughs> anyways, I'm having fun over here. I hope you guys are having fun. <laughs> I think this sounds like the perfect time for you to start that One Piece binge. It sounds like you're not happy. It sounds like all is not well in X-Men land. So, You know, when is it ever good in X-Men land, uh, if we're being completely honest? Uh, but yeah, let's. we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some some pretty deep stuff when it comes to comic books. Mostly how to understand comic books beyond just their surface level read. So when we come back, we're going to we're going to dig into that and maybe a little bit more. We'll be back in a second. Before we start the show this week, I want to tell everyone that the 2019 I know it was last year, but the 2019 IRCB listener survey is out. You can go to ircbpodcast.com slash survey. Take that survey. Get entered to win a $15 Comixology gift card. I'll just send it right to your email address if you provide said email address. Let us know what you think of the show. We've got all sorts of questions and stuff out there just to hopefully improve things for 2020. So make sure to head over to ircbpodcast.com slash survey and take that survey ASAP. It's not too long, and you could maybe win $15 to Comixology. But anyways... This week on the show, we are talking about how to understand and look for the deeper themes and meanings within comic books, which is kind of a humongous thing, but I brought on, you know, my two experts about digging maybe too deep into comics, <laughs> and that's Tia and Nick. So, I mean, this this question and this idea is kind of a big thing, but I, I kind of want to hear what you guys initially think about, like, when you're reading a book and you're trying to take in more than just the surface-level story, what are the things that you're looking for as you read through an arc or an entire run or even a single issue of a comic book? I'm going to toss over to you first, Tia. Well, I, am, I of course, always uh, kind of default to looking at the art more closely And I think that a a good way to kind of start training yourself to do that more is to just like try reading the story without reading the words, just looking at the art and see how much you can understand about the story. And that will give you, I mean, it's, it's, it'll give you a sense of the aesthetic and the tone um, even if you don't necessarily catch all the plot details, you should still be able mm-hmm. to describe the setting, the characters, the genre. You know what I mean? Like, is it a happy story? Is it a tense story? Is is it quiet? Like, um, I, we all take English literature courses in school, but we don't really learn how to read art in the same way. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you you shouldn't feel discouraged if you don't know how to do it like instinctively. It's something that you have to practice just like you had to practice learning how to read. Yeah. It's it's funny. I, I feel like I was just talking to someone recently about this, about how when you're reading some comics in specific, you you can tell you get a lot of the story just from the art. I mean, I think we've talked about this many times on the show, but like some of there was a book in particular that we were talking about and it was just like how three quarters of the story is just told through the panel beats and like the various shots within the with the within the comic and the text is almost superfluous and it just maybe adds a little bit more clarity to what's actually going on but without the words you would still get the majority of what's going on um and i think that that's something that the person I was talking to, I think, is like a more a long-time comic book reader, and that's something that you learn over many years of, of reading comics. But um, if you're just trying to dig into it, I think, like, I, I don't think I've ever actually tried to read a book by just the art, like going through more than a handful of pages of just the art. I wonder if that's something we could challenge ourselves to do this year. I know that, like, I think, to you, you'd thrown out the idea of for the show of like taking a, a book that hasn't been translated to English and try to read the whole exactly. thing without, you know, knowing like French or German or whatever language it's in just to see how much of the story you can get just from that. I think that's like a good training exercise. And if that feels really daunting, you can even take a story you've read before in English and then like try to read it in another language and that you don't understand. So you have kind of a roadmap, but, but it'll force you to look more closely at how the visuals are are guiding you there rather than relying on the words entirely. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. that another thing that is really important to this exercise is know the difference between when you're reading the story for the plot points and the narrative and when you're actually being analytical about what your what the story is, right? Like mm-hmm. um I tend not to care that much about the plot or the narrative. People who listen to this show a lot probably notice that I don't really talk about it too much when I talk about what I read this week or whatever. I tend to default more to like how the story is being told or, you know, uh, thematically or like aesthetically what's going on. So see if you can identify like in your own reading when you are absorbing plot versus when you are analyzing. Absolutely. And I think, Nick, you, you've you got a point in your notes that I think is super crucial to this, which is telling people to slow down. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but I think a lot of readers, new readers and, and old readers alike, um, they have a real tendency that whether they're aware of it or not, their real goal is, and and this is sort of what I've noticed when I sort of become more aware of my own process, is you read the prose in the panel, you glance at the picture, and you just move on to the next one. And I'm sure some people are saying, well, isn't isn't that what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, but I think, I think a lot of people just sort of bounce panel to panel, and they don't really... I mean, I guess a better way of putting this is sometimes I'll I'll show someone who's new to comics or not even familiar with comics, I'll show them like a page of comic art and I'll say, how long do you think it took to make this, right? And, <laughs> or, or how many pages like this do you think the average artist makes in a day? And I'm not talking about inking the page. I'm not talking about flatting the colors. I'm not talking about all the color work or the lettering. I'm just asking you, for the one guy who only does the pencils, how many pages do you think you know a person can do in a day? And it's it's astounding the answers you get because I can tell you, almost nobody says one or two, right? It's just that that's not what people think. People think this is a much faster, much easier process. Um, and I think unfortunately that sort of leads to the idea that it's um, quote unquote not art or it's disposable art, right? It sort of gets relegated into these categories of just mm-hmm. not being. And what if that ultimately implies is if it's disposable or it's throwaway or it's easy to make and it's easy to consume, um, then it's not something that's worthy of critical um, analysis. Well, there's. I think that's what people take away from that. I think that. Um, in academia, there's this idea that art has to be more conceptual than narrative in order to be worthwhile in in terms of thinking about it analytically, and that um, 
narrative art is somehow more simple and you know that's right it's like hand holding sort of essentially yeah in some ways. and it's like you know everything is a story even conceptual art is telling a story right just because it's not telling a story with a narrative you know it doesn't mean that it isn't and the way that a narrative is told doesn't just rely on stringing together a, a series of plot points there's there are you know bigger themes and tones and and ways that the story is imparted to you and in a lot of cases the art is doing all of that heavy lifting like just look at a panel and look for things that feel symmetrical notice things that feel like they're drawing your eye to a certain thing in the picture chances are pretty good mm-hmm. you know it's like making something italic or bolded in your t- in, when you're writing it's there's there's ways that emphasis and nuance is put into a story or a theme or an idea with narrative arts and you just have to yeah, you just have to slow like you know and like nick said you have to slow down and you have to take your time and you have to not rely so much on reading the words to read those artistic nuances i was gonna say and i think a lot of that uh, somewhat boils down to having a better understanding of the process behind creating comics i think when you understand who's doing what and sort of how they're doing it and why they're doing it or why it's being um one thing i always go back to is uh, i think it's a i think it's a jack kirby drawing that's been inked by like 14 different people or something like that and you sort of get a feel for um how different inks can can change an image and and once you can kind of dissect how it's coming together, I think you can better understand sometimes the intent behind how something is being created. Um, And I think a lot of people don't, they just aren't even aware of the process that's happening. And so, you know, they might think it's all just one person, which again, in some cases it is, but. Yeah, I think that it's interesting that we're focusing uh, really heavily on the art side of things because for some reason in my head, I was thinking more of like, how do you pull away like the the like narrative like metaphorical stuff you know like how do how do you read a book like like elishkot's zero and go this is a book about a guy on mushrooms other than (laughs) elishkot coming out and saying yeah this is about my experience on mushrooms kind of um because i i think like without the you know the the obvious thing in the book zero mushrooms become a big thing like fungus becomes a thing as part of the story um like it's it's really strange to try to pull themes out of that stuff i feel like um what's what's really helped me is you know having conversations on sh- the show like this um to discuss this stuff and i think the things that i've learned from a lot of you guys on the show is is how to pay attention to this kind of stuff or having conversations after having read the same book and go oh did you notice this thing and it kind of helps me in the future to treat like this trigger this thing of like yes you read the book but are you looking beyond the the just the what's on the page for what's actually happening here or like tia was saying looking for the symmetry on the page look for the way that the artist or uh has highlighted something on a page to draw your attention even if the characters aren't necessarily speaking about it um i think that's it's it's interesting that you guys went straight to how do we how do we do this with just the art side of things and not the actual like the narrative dialogue that's happening in the book um because I maybe that's maybe we think in two different directions. I guess I realize comics are mostly art with some words on them, but uh, it's uh, I, I was approaching it from like a, how do you pull out the fact that this artist was talking about chaos magic in a comic book or something like that um, when it was just a story about superheroes fighting other you know villains. Um, that's really really interesting. Well, I will point out that the topic on the schedule says how to interpret art and look for themes and deeper meanings. Yeah, I mean, yes, <laughs> so yes. I thought you meant art. I mean, you heard it here from it. Uh, Tia first, writing, not art. <laughs> I thought you meant art. <laughs> not art. <laughs> I guess, okay, yeah, sorry. I guess what I said, art, or when I was thinking art for some reason, I was thinking like the the grander scale art. So maybe. Well, you have been <laughs> or maybe, to two museums. I just don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how to read my own writing is the other problem. Um <laughs> 
But I guess this kind of brings me to a question that I've been wondering, you know, do all comics have to have like a deeper meaning like this? Like when you're reading a book, do you think that every single book kind of has this or is it something that is very choosy? Because, you know, I know we talk about um, some of the books that we really love and respect from like the big two, you know, and, and Image and all these other publishers. And a lot of the times I feel like those are the books that have those deeper meanings and they have like a bigger story to tell just beyond what's happening in the plain narrative. Um, and usually a lot of those books are paired with artists that do a lot of this stuff that you guys are talking about. I think that my complaint about Hawkeye Freefall is a perfect example of this, you know, like sure. there just wasn't any there there compared to like Fraction and Aha's Hawkeye, where I think you could really unpack a lot of themes and deeper meanings and and kind of look at it more um, as a as a creation that is held up by things other than a series of plot points. Mm-hmm. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, Alesh Kat's, uh Zero that you just brought up, like, maybe yeah, it's just about him on mushrooms, but I suspect that he would be delighted by people exploring, the- you know, various themes and deeper meanings from that, even if he didn't mean to put them there. Because, right. you know, at the end of the day, I think for artists like, Ella Ishkot art is about inspiring people to think and and explore whereas Mm -hmm. you know certainly wanting to keep your toys in the plastic box doesn't really uh, inspire much of that although it you know I've seen people do like a Marxist reading of a of a takeout menu so like literally (laughs) <laughs> the very concept of not wanting to take your toys out of the plastic is something I could go to town on if we had the time. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, it, that's that's it's funny that you bring that up though because uh, that was kind of another question I was thinking is you know how how much of an artist's intention do we take away from this kind of stuff, right? Um, because if if there is like a, a deeper meaning within the art and within the story of a comic, uh, maybe you know like you said the intention was maybe Alish Cott was talking about being on mushrooms and I realize he was doing more than that. I think it was being on mushrooms is about the paramilitary complex. It was about all this all this different stuff, um, but like maybe his intention was X and we interpreted it as Y, you know, how, where does that line get drawn? I realize this is also a much bigger question beyond probably the scope <laughs> of today's discussion, but like everyone has their own experience when they're on mushrooms. So, you know, you're, you're <laughs> right, already, right. you're already identifying a like thematic symmetry in this whole reading that you have going on. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, I, I just am I'm curious to know what you guys think there, because I, I, we, I feel like this is a debate that happens constantly um, all the time about various things. You know, you know, if the, an artist intended one thing, but another thing was taken out of it, like, how do we, where do we fall with that? How do we draw a line to say, like, well, I'm just going to take this out of it and that's that? Or is it just like a personal subjective thing? If it's there is no hard rule. If the artist's intention is useful for you and enriches your experience with the text, then it is important. And if it isn't, then it isn't. And feel free to check it. Gotcha. Like the artist has only has control over the creation of the art. They don't have any control over it after that point. Right. <laughs> uh, that's going to be our next T-shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, Nick, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the days of the, the primacy of authorial intent uh, or artistic intent have sort of um, wavered and dwindled a bit. And, and of course, um, meaning is what you make of it now, which, which, which I think is great. I think it's also kind of a funny time to arrive at that because we're now at a point where you aren't just sitting in your classroom and and you go, well, what was the author thinking about with this? And your teacher goes, I don't get paid enough to know. Screw you. You have Wikipedia. Um, right. But but these days it's more like you can go on on the internet and and ask I don't know Gail Simone or Matt Kent or whomever you can go. Well, what was what was this about or what did you mean? And all of a sudden you're coming face to face with a a concrete answer. And so that's kind of a, a weird and, and curious position that we're in now and and i totally agree with tia that i think there certainly is value 
in the power of uh, taking from something what you want. Um, of course, there is the flip side of that where <laughs> you have everyone um, leaving Watchmen and saying that Rorschach is their own personal idol and hero now and Alan Moore going, oh no. But yeah. um, I guess that's the that's the peril of creating art, I suppose. There's, there's always going to be risk inherent that someone is going to point at Darth Vader and go, um, you're my new dad. So, um... <laughs> Well, you have to show your work, I think, is the key here. So, like, if you want to be like, Vader's my dad, I'll be like, okay, present your case. And they can present their case and I'll be like, you're real dumb. You did not understand this because, like, whatever you're seeing in here, it's not there. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Like, there is, a, there is like, a stretch limit for this kind of well, stuff if, is, is kind of what you're getting at? If you are going to interpret a text a certain way, you have to build your case, right? It, it's like being mm-hmm. a lawyer. It's like, go watch my cousin Vinny, right? You got to build the bricks. Remember that scene? <laughs> In my, anyway, you know. <laughs> it's been years, but I know I think I know what you're talking about. Well, see, this this just sounds like an like a paper that I wrote when I was in college about how Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was actually a representation of the seven deadly sins. Oh yeah, totally. And I had to like it was a really fun paper to write because I thought that I was stretching it as a joke when I started it, and then by the end I was really confident because I could I had eight yeah, pages worth of writing. Papers. Well, I had I had the actual work and, and sources and stuff to cite, which I thought was really cool. But I I, I understand what you're getting because I did this one time ten years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, I'm just making up all this shit as I go. Um, but still, I, I, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I'm not trying to completely derail the the topic here, um, because I think the question of how you do this and how you actually spend the time to actually interpret art like this um, is probably the core here. So it, no matter what you're taking away from it, I think what to to go back to kind of what you were saying to you, it's showing your work and being able to say, oh well, if you you know analyze this page or you look at this this issue in the way that it was laid out, so on and so forth, you can maybe justify your uh, uh, your case for why you interpreted something in the way that you did. Um, I, I like that a lot. I think that that's that's a really interesting point. That I again, this is why I had you guys on because I don't know the answer. <laughs> I just want to know what you guys think so I can come up with my own opinion and then claim it's my own later. So um, <laughs> That's the producer's right. Every producer's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Mike Rappin's narration, I came to a new idea all by myself. <laughs> yeah. No one else helped me. Right. Um, but, but when it comes to comic books, though, I mean, like, it, it, when, when you guys are maybe analyzing a piece maybe if you're writing something or you're you know you're trying to go back to to do something to to justify a, a, an interpretation um how are you guys like analyzing things like are you are you taking things page by page and laying it all out are you analyzing it as single pages or as like a whole issue or as a whole arc um what's your kind of mental process for that kind of stuff i mean i feel like you have to let the work kind of tell you what makes the most sense Certainly, sometimes getting really granular about it will reveal things that are useful or interesting. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to pull back a little bit, too. Like a nine-panel yeah. grid, for example. As a nine-panel grid, as an as the entity, a nine-panel grid, it mm-hmm. it does something important to the story in terms of like setting a certain cadence to those story beats and just even the like very uniform size and shape of the panels it kind of guides you through the story in a certain way it sets a certain tone but then each individual panel also has to do something and when then when you put them together in certain combinations the comparisons of them do something for example like in um in Simon Hanselman's work I noticed that a lot where he'll have like a two panels next to each other that are like basically identical except for he'll just move the dots of Mog's pupils like a fraction to the left and there is there mm-hmm. is so much storytelling in that in that fraction of a movement, you know, but that you wouldn't get that story if you only looked at one of those panels individually, you have to kind of put them together to see that happen. Right. Where the, where the sequential in sequential art comes into play here. Just like (laughs) a thing sometimes that have matters in comics. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's it's interesting because I think that you know something like uh, we can we can always go back to Watchmen because it's the default nine panel grid. Blah blah blah. Who cares? Um, but let's. Let, I mean, thinking about something like Mister Miracle, I think um, is another good example of that, where you look through those panels, and I think he, Mitch Gerards did a lot of really good panel to panel work on some issues um, compared to others. Where when other issues, you know, it would be nine panels of nonstop action, and you're kind of like, how did these even connect? Okay, sure, there a lot of things are happening that's what i'm supposed to take away from that um and i the the thing that i've I've always found interesting about that my nine panel grid is how limiting it can be sometimes because those those panels are so thin um it's it's kind of a wonder that that a lot of story can be told in them without segmenting them further or segmenting them in different ways um but yet it's it's still like one of the most like hey if you're gonna do this this style of storytelling nine panel grid is the way to do it and when you take up a challenge like something like Mr. Miracle where you're only going to do nine panel grids for the entire run it kind of like hurts your brain to have to sit back and go okay how do all these panels and pages line up um I think if you're if you're analyzing it all I'd love to see like a giant printout of all the issues like maybe that should be an art exhibit that would of be all amazing. the pages without any of the dialogue or anything but just have them all streamed together and say look at this and five dollars tells me that mitch gerard's is a genius and he somehow made it all into the shape of mr Miroka's face <laughs> like if you lay them all out <laughs> mitch, on, call you know, us. something like that <laughs> yeah mitch give us a call we'd love to somehow find money to fund this art exhibit it'd be really cool but then like also okay say you have all these nine panel grids and then you turn the page and it's a splash page you pot like you like sink into that splash page in a way that that is different because you have mm-hmm. just come off all those nine panel grids. Then it's a disruption yeah. of the pattern. yeah yeah. It's a hard disruption of the pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and things are not outlined for you by panel borders anymore. You've got to find what's going on. You've got to explore that page more. Right, and and I think a lot of what this comes down to and a lot of the things I've found myself um, analyzing more critically than in the past um, it's I I know it's obviously tempting to go and stare at the splash page for 15 minutes or if you're really lucky a double splash page whatever (laughs) yeah yeah Um, not 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 throwing shade against double splash pages they they have their place just usually not in my books but uh i've i've found that it's so frequently it's the things that we say that we just don't think about when they're being done well and we you know lambast when when they're done horribly so things like um color and tone things like panel layout page layout um gutters pacing um things like this uh when when the lettering just seems like it really fits but you can't put your finger on it like i feel like these are so many of the things that really can make or break a book and really um are worth a good amount of critical analysis but so frequently we just gloss right over it which in a weird way is sort of um praise for a job well done but that's that's just what happens and and these are definitely the sorts of things i would encourage to definitely for people to look at are like panel layout pacing um structure and that uh these are the things i've sort of really moved towards looking at these days mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't even it's... look at the art anymore i just i just uh i grab my white out and i cover <laughs> up all of the art oh, okay. and i cover up the words too and i just look at the squares and i i glean what i can um, wow, Nick, you're you're so advanced. Wow, <laughs> you guys are playing checkers. I'm playing 3D chess. Okay, Galaxy yeah. Brain comic yeah. reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even read comics. Yeah, I just look at the gutters and the in the word balloons. Um, <laughs> that's that's. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's like good editing, right? Editing and audio, film, all that stuff. You don't notice it until like you're done with something. You go, wow, that that flowed so well, and it's because something is so well structured. Um, it's it's. I mean, and now we're we're talking about page structure and stuff, which I think is also even crucial when it comes to storytelling. Because again, it's about that beat. It's about keeping pace. It's about making sure that the reader is reading at a rate kind of at least yeah. in a story pace setting um in a certain way so that when you do go from that nine panel grid to the splash page like just to continue using that example they're hit with a wash of like whoa this is so different it's not what i was expecting and it's it's that kind of thing where you have to breathe for a second to take in oh this is a dramatic ch- 
change, and that must be meaningful. Um, and I think it's not just about like, oh, cool, now we've got this character, you know, flying in the air and blah blah blah. It's no, I this the writer and the artist work together to intentionally change the way that the story was structured so that you notice something mm-hmm. different has happened. Um, and to, to take that out and look at it from like a meta contextual perspective it's it's i think that's something that's hard to learn but once you've got it it's it's something that's becomes very crucial and and helpful when you're understanding and analyzing comics well and you know like like i told you i think a week or two ago when i was reading weatherman Mm -hmm. i think people used to think i i used to think sometimes like the longer it took me to read an issue generally speaking oh this must have been a more in-depth well thought out um, deep issue, right? Mm-hmm. And the quicker mm-hmm. I read an issue, the one that took me two minutes and I, you know, threw it on the table or whatever, for me that was like, oh, this is whatever. Like, that was, you know, just a quick, easy, breezy, nothing to it sort of read. Mm-hmm. But but these days now, I, I look a lot more at the ones that I read really fast and I and I ask, well, why, why was this working so well for me? Like, why was everything, you know, not disrupting my pace and allowing me to just really cut through it and nothing was throwing me off? And so now I look at those issues and I say well what was going right as opposed to saying well this must have been like a real thin easy breezy nothing really to look at nothing to see sort of issue right I mean we've all we've all read like a Brian Michael Bendis book or something that's so full of words it takes you a half hour to get through it because you were just reading a prose book um, right but yeah I get you um, well anyways yeah I, I, I realized that you know we, did, we could talk about this all day and we kind of veered a little bit off of the the path which is okay and I, I really like the conversation we got to um, I just want to ask before we wrap up here you know do you guys have any final thoughts about you know what, what's your one key takeaway if you could give advice to folks out there um, about like how to extract something just beyond the surface level story of a comic and and the art itself i mean it's really simple honestly uh just have discussions with with other people i realize it's 2020 now and that might be now that i'm thinking about it a really unreasonable thing to ask Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh just go out have discussions don't get in a fight have friends uh don't lose those friendships um but uh I, I it's it's so simple. Just get out there, discuss a book with someone else, see what they got out of it, um, mention what you got out of it. I, I think that sometimes that's the best way to really um just just take take the book, you know, look at it from outside of your own perspective. And I mean, when I look at the discussions that you and I have had on, on Ice Cream Man, for example, like yeah. between the two of us, we were just throwing stuff out there that the other person wasn't even thinking of at all. Mm-hmm. Um so just just have a dialogue again i know it's 2020 i know it's tough we we have a safe little corner of the internet and it's our discord that is great so everyone should just join our discord yeah (laughs) just don't disagree with me on there or else we're (laughs) gonna (laughs) right right what about you tia I'm going to take it the other direction from Nick. I'm going to say you don't you don't need to talk to other people. Just see okay. if you could see if you could say to yourself this book was about and distill it into as few words as possible. Like even if you can just one word. And then go back and look at the art and identify every place that word stands out in what you see. Oh shit. You're breaking my brain with that. I really like that. Uh, I mean, Nick, I like talking to you, and that's fine. Cool. Go, go no, sit I in your got corner. It. Message like, delivered. <laughs> no, that's that's incredible. I, mean, I never considered that. I like they that. They did used to pay me to do this to college kids, to teach them how to do this. So, you know. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Well, cool. Um, <clears throat> that's. I mean, I have nothing to say because, as always, 229 episodes later, I'm still in a culture. I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. But I, I really appreciate you guys uh, coming together today for this. This is a really cool discussion. Um, but So, if, if you guys want, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Tia at Portrait of Madam X. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCB Podcast. The show is powered by fans like you on Patreon. Find our Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Join now for access to exclusive audio, articles, previews of the IRCB schedule, early access to top-of-my-pile posts, and more. Our Goodreads group is a lovely community of comics friends. Join our yearly reading challenge and comment on our weekly threads. Check it out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads. Our website is, if you haven't already guessed, ircbpodcast.com. Check it out for a pronunciation guide, our Discord server, uh, access to downloading our zines, 
getting our merch and everything else IRCB. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars would be great, whether that's on iTunes or anywhere else. If you do so, we will read your review on the next episode. You can also email the show with what you've been reading, recipes, corrections, whatever. And you can do that at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for our show, and we love them to death. They are a universal and wonderful band. Xander is a high wizard of the truest kind. He lives in the sky, and yet he graces our presence once a week to deliver this show unto us. He's amazing. Give him a high five if you see him at Emerald City Comic Con. I want to say thank you to Tia and Nick for being on the show this week. Thank you to everyone on the Discord who's amazing. Thank you to all the people on Twitter. Thank you for listening to this episode. You are fantastic. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Comics are good.